What is up, everybody? Welcome, welcome, welcome to The Rambler. Hello, adoptees, friends and families of adoptees, people associated with the adoptee community, the adoption community. I want to welcome you to this week's episode of The Rambler. I am your host, Mike McDonald. I have a great show for you today. Yes, a great show indeed. My guest today is Carrie Vitala Logan, who is a Korean adoptee, an adoptive mother as well, and she's living in North Virginia, uh, well, Northern Virginia, there's no North Virginia, what am I talking about? Northern Virginia, you know what I'm saying, you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth. Anyways, you will enjoy this episode today, we're going to talk a lot about uh, her and her family and all the incredible things that she has done. Uh, all over the place, including her crazy, awesome upbringing uh, in Kuwait, of all places. She's an American, but uh, her father was working for the uh, chemical bank, which I think, incidentally, my dad worked for for a short amount of time. Anyways, you're going to hear a lot about that. Uh, Coming up, coming up. I do want to talk shortly, really, really quickly, about the kind of big news in the adoptee community this week, um, which is the unfortunate decision by a judge to approve the deportation of Adam Crasper, who is, if you're not aware, a Korean adoptee who fell into that loophole. Uh, you may, have, If you're listening to the show lately, we've been talking a lot about the Adoptee Citizenship Act and the Adoptee Rights Campaign. Now, unfortunately, Adam has been directly affected by the loophole that people who were adopted after 1983 uh, and were under 18 don't fall under at the time. And basically what happened was a bunch of legislators who, uh, and I believe the legislation, if I am just saying this correctly, uh, were was drafted by adoptive parents and kind of pushed for by adoptive parents, but they didn't think or consider the people who were born or older than 18 prior to 1983, like Adam Crasper. Now, uh, before I knew all the facts, I'm going to admit, and you'll probably hear this in later episodes as well, that I I had made a snap judgment uh, when I first learned about Adam's case um, because I found out that he was a criminal. He was a person who broke and entered into a house, and he also, uh, I believe, distributed drugs. Um, But upon reading more about the case, uh, and this is the good thing about being uh, a student of research like myself, is that I, I get curious about things and I dig deeper. And it's always good to actually dig deeper into things to get the whole story. Because the whole story is, is that, yes, he did do those crimes. But A, I'm not going to excuse the drug dealing, but he did break and enter into his old, his second adoptive parent's house, uh, who, by the way, were abusive, as well as his first adoptive parents, to steal back his stuff that he came here to America with in his possession. Uh, those are things that he brought over with him as a Korean child uh, to America under the presumption that he was going to get American citizenship. He was brought here against his will, like adoptees are. And I'm not saying, you know, it's necessarily a bad thing or a good thing or whatever. But the, the, the facts of the matter is that for the most part, adoptees don't have a choice in where they're going and under what circumstances. And so Adam was brought to America under the auspices that he would be granted American citizenship. What happened was these parents of his, both the first set of adoptive parents and the second set of adoptive parents, never filed the paperwork for his American citizenship, uh, as was the case at that time, uh, which is what you need to do if you want to get your child United States citizenship. And therefore, he never got it. Uh, He did commit those crimes, and he actually did go to jail for those. So he actually did serve time in prison for those crimes that he committed. And here's the important part, because 
He did the time. He served it. Justice was, quote, served under that. And to me, in my opinion, looking at the case now, it's kind of a double jeopardy issue because they're going to deport this man who has no cultural, linguistic uh, connection to his country of birth, which is Korea. He has a family in the United States of his own and kids of his own in the United States that he's going to be separated from now, basically because of this loophole and the fact that he committed a crime, but it was a very long time ago and he already served his time for it. Um, so I, I, I think it's a poor decision on, on this judge's part. Um, unfortunately, it's become a hot button issue for uh, the Republican Party, this immigration issue. And of course, we're in election year, so everything's whipped up and I'm not sure how much the Hill is going to be moving forward with the Adoptee Citizenship Act because of the immigration kind of part of this. But really, I mean, if we're talking to uh, if I'm talking to any of my Republican friends out there, my conservative friends who might have an issue with this, I would say I would argue to you uh, that you're breaking up a family. You're breaking up a family uh, of a man and his children and his wife. And I would implore you under those circumstances to keep that family together and really just look at the facts. Like he already served his time. He did the time and, you know, he's trying to make the best of his life. And so we're going to do what? We're going to send this man back to a country that he has no real connection to anymore. That to me is not justice served. Uh, and that's what I would argue to you. And if you are interested in trying to get the Adoptee Citizenship Act passed and you want to hear more about it, please go to adopterightscampaign.org. That is adopterightscampaign.org. You can find out more information there. You can find out how to get in touch with your congressman, your senator, your elected representatives while they're still in office now. And then in the future, what you can do to support people like Adam Crasper, because he's not the only one. There are untold amounts of adoptees, international adoptees out there right now living in the United States who are documented immigrants. They're not undocumented immigrants. Their adoption was documented. Their parents, either through negligence, ignorance, or sheer laziness, didn't fill out the paperwork to get them citizenship. They fall into this loophole. They can't get jobs. They can't get financial aid. They can't get a passport. And they have the possibility of being deported from this country just because of that, just because of that. And let's keep in mind, again, these are people who were brought here to this country under the pretense that they would get American citizenship, and they had no choice in the matter. They didn't have a really usually any choice in the matter. So, again, go to adoptyrightscampaign.org to find out more information about how you can support Adam and people like Adam. That being said, I, uh, I'm going to finish out this intro, and I am going to get started with the show. Please enjoy my conversation with Kerry Vitalo Logan. Enjoy. All right. Well, Kerry, welcome to the show. Right, thank you. Thank you for coming on. This is very exciting. How did you hear about uh, the Rambler? Um, through ALDC, actually. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm so... really sorry we couldn't get together when I was down there in Washington. Oh no worries. No worries. Uh, yeah, I have a. It's, it's hard for me to get back downtown, the, the little ones, so. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I hear that, definitely. And it's the D.C. is so interesting to me because the traffic, if you live in D.C., it's not a big deal, but, like, anywhere outside of D.C., even going to, like, northern Virginia or, like, Maryland, it's a real hassle to get to. <laughs> it is, yeah, you have to plan your life around the traffic. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's like, 
not even just rush hour it's like all the time it seems like so like even if you live what i would consider to be like 15 minutes outside of the metro dc area you're really like an hour right exactly is that so do you live in dc like downtown or do you live like right outside so i live in springfield which is I don't know if you're familiar with the mixing bowl, but it's where the Beltway and 95 kind of okay. jumble together. Yeah, um, so you're in a high so traffic area. <laughs> it is. And I think it's only technically 11 or 12 miles south of D.C., but like you said, you know, forget about it. Like, Yeah, that could take an hour yeah. <laughs> or a few hours. Yeah, the Beltway to me has always been kind of a nightmare. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Are you originally from that area? Did you grow up in the area? No. So I – after. I have a twin sister. We were adopted together. So she and I, we, our family lived in um, Long Island in uh, New York. Okay. And then uh, when we were three, our family moved to Kuwait for five years. Um, and oh, after wow. that, back to North Carolina. So I, I guess I call North Carolina home, but it, it's, I, it doesn't feel like home to me. What were you guys doing in Kuwait for five years? Is, is your dad in the government or something? So he worked for what was called Chemical Bank at the time out of New York City. Oh, yeah. My dad worked for Chemical Bank, I think. Yeah, I think so. Back in like the early 90s or the 80s, I think. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, we were in the 70s. Um, So they they were sending people to Kuwait to teach the Kuwaitis how to run their national bank. Wow. Um, So I think his original tour of duty was either two or three years. And then he, I guess, re-opted for another couple years that is so funny that he works for a chemical bank and you say use like it's like military parlance it's like tour of duty and then he re- yeah, yeah. <laughs> i guess is that like how we so you, you spent five years in kuwait with your family how was that mm-hmm. it was amazing i mean you know obviously i saw it through a child's <clears throat> lens yeah. and you know missed a lot of i'm sure adult nuances but um in terms of diversity it was it was the most diverse place that I've ever lived. Um, I guess DC is pretty diverse. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was just, it was, it was great. So the company considered it a hardship tour because at that time, no one had ever heard of Kuwait. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they paid for two free trips a year anywhere, plus multiple trips back to the US. So we got to travel, I mean, all over the world. That's on awesome. The company's dime. Yeah, it was. It was. So where did you guys go? Uh, so, almost all of Europe, we'd hit like Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore, Philippines, Thailand, Seychelles. Um, where else? I'm sure there are countries I can't even, I'm not even remembering um, <laughs> that we went to. So it was. It was That's good. pretty incredible. Did you guys ever end up going to Korea while you were uh, doing all that? No, you know, my parents always asked and my sister and I were really anti-Korea when we were little. Oh yeah. I think it. we just, even though we lived in a diverse place and no one, in Kuwait questioned our adoption. It wasn't an issue like it is, you know, it could be back here. Um, we just, I don't know. I don't know what it was. I think maybe, I don't know if we were afraid of being left there or it just mm. reminded us of a, something that we didn't want to be reminded of. I, I don't know. It's an interesting question why we weren't more interested in Korea because my parents were like, if you want to go, now's the time. Like, yeah, right. It's free. And it's free. So. <laughs> but we never did. Huh. And, and so Kuwait, I didn't realize Kuwait was that diverse, first of all, and that's probably bad. I mean, I've never been to Kuwait, but how was that growing up in Kuwait with regards to adoption? Were they curious about the adoption? Were, was it ever a topic that you remember coming up at all? It wasn't. And I know with a lot of, um, in a lot of Muslim countries, adoption isn't viewed as, you know, it's not the same as it is in Western countries. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I don't think we actually interacted that much with a lot of Kuwaitis. So I guess when I say diverse, I mean more racially, but um, mm-hmm. ec- economically, it was very segregated. Okay. Um, and the Kuwaitis were a lot richer than we were, so we didn't really <laughs> uh, interact with that much. Um, but no, it, it wasn't a problem. Being adopted wasn't a problem or wasn't um, wasn't anything at all. It was only when we moved back to the U.S. that we realized, oh, people think that we're a strange family. Yeah. So you... Mostly, I guess your family hung out with like other families from the chemical bank and everything like that. It was, or we were Amer- in an expat, expats. Yeah, we were in an expat compound, but it, I think we had more non-American friends than we did American. Oh yeah. Okay, and then you moved to North Carolina. You said yes. We said back yes. to North Carolina, but originally you were in. Long Sorry, Island. yeah, yeah. Not I just meant back to the U.S. But oh, North okay, Carolina. okay. Yeah. So you and where in North Carolina did you move to? A uh, suburb of Winston Salem. Okay, yeah, yeah, I know Winston-Salem, oh, sure. okay. Yes, I lived in central North Carolina in a town called Southern Pines for a number of years prior to moving oh. back up to New York. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, uh, it's, it's, it was very quaint. How was, uh, how was, so at what age did you move back to uh, the suburbs oh. of Winston-Salem? I think in fourth, in fourth grade. Okay, so, so around like nine or so. Yeah. Almost a little bit, almost your uh, son's age, your, your oldest, I'm guessing it's uh, oldest is daughter, yeah. Oldest daughter's age. Yeah. <laughs> so that's exciting. And and you said it was not quite the same as uh, Kuwait in terms of the acceptance no, of you know, adoptees. Uh, and Asians, I mean. And Asians, yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it. So I don't remember a whole lot about middle school and elementary school, but I know in high school, my sister and I, I think we were one of five Asians, no, two of five Asians in our high school. And my parents had moved there because we had good friends from Kuwait who had moved there and they loved it. And, you know, my parents thought it was a a wonderful place to raise a family. And I'm sure it would have been had we not been a transracial international mm. adoptee family. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it sort of scarred me. And I'm not a big fan of living in the South. And, you know, perhaps that's not right of me to say because I hear it's changed a lot. But And I realize uh, living in Virginia, too, that's technically the South. But... um you know, when my husband and I talk about if we ever want to leave D.C., I, I'm not interested in moving back to the South. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, I'm sure it has changed a lot uh, from what I hear. You know, I only had experience. I had limited experience in Winston-Salem. Most of my time I spent outside of central North Carolina. I was in like the Triangle area. <laughs> and apparently Durham has changed a lot. Like Durham used to be very, uh, very inner city like. And now it's very lush and diverse and been completely gentrified, <laughs> you know, but the the culture of North Carolina, I don't feel like has changed really all that much. It hasn't changed dramatically uh, from what you're describing. Um, I think there are still a lot of over racial tension issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if anything, Charlotte uh, of recent mm-hmm. events has, has proven that, that there are underlying tensions that are bubbling over now. Uh, um, and being Asian there, isn't much easier. <laughs> right. Uh, I don't know if I've told this story on the show before. I'm pretty sure I have. But when my wife moved down to North Carolina before we were married, <clears throat> she was also coming from New York. And she was like, well, let's just go downtown and go get something to eat or whatever. And we're walking down the street in downtown in North Carolina. And this pickup truck full of white kids are hanging out the side of the window. And they like pointed us in the yell, Asians. <laughs> We were just like, well, they're not being racist. They're not wrong. <laughs> they didn't right, call right. us chinks or anything. But it was just like so weird to be like, oh, they're going to like point us out for being Right, like different. you're in a zoo. Like, yeah. And I'm like, I'm a grown adult. Like, <laughs> I'm not 
you know, some kid who's getting the, like the slant eyes made at right. him, like on the playground. Like this is, although I will say, same downtown area, uh, two drunk kids on a Sunday morning uh, came out of a very popular breakfast place that we were waiting to get into. And they made a comment like, oh, we don't want to eat here anyway. They couldn't get into it because the line was too long. And they said, oh, we don't want to eat here anyway. There's too many chinks in line or too many chinks here. And they did this at us. And I was like, oh, oh, if I weren't going to get charged with like assaulting a minor right now. Right. So, you know, North Carolina as a culture, like I I totally understand why maybe some people uh, at Chemical Bank would have thought, oh, this is a great place to raise a family. But they didn't consider the racial issues that that may arise and could scar children for life. So I understand why you wouldn't want to move back to the area. Yeah. Uh, necessarily. Um, and I could also see why your parents would want to move there because it's not an expensive area to live in. And Winston-Salem and I'm sure the surrounding suburbs are very nice, very nice areas like uh, environmentally. They look great. Aesthetically, mm-hmm. they look very nice. But in terms of the racial disparities uh in north carolina those aren't easy to overcome i would say right right so i mean high school was pretty rough then high school was it was okay i mean there was some racism of course and i've forever been put off of math because my geometry teacher made some racist comments about asians and you know i i wasn't strong enough to say you know what you know that's that's wrong mm-hmm. um, and so now i'm i blame it all why i'm really bad at math on him so like, <laughs> the anti-asian stereotype <laughs> yeah i'm the same way i'm really terrible at math as well and uh i i proudly break that stereotype <laughs> <laughs> yeah math and science are not exactly my forte as no, much as no. I, I love the two uh and celebrate people who are good at those i am not <laughs> that's right <laughs> yeah more of the uh english uh, psychology, history, political science mm, yeah, flavor. Yeah. That's more my jam. <laughs> uh, what about you? So you ended up staying away from math, it sounds like. Oh, far away. Yep. And then what did you end up studying once you got into uh, college? Uh, so I did sociology. Yes. Um, <laughs> so my parents, my you know, my dad was a business guy, and I have to say he, he took it well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> were, were you expecting some blowback? He'd always said, well, you need to find something that you can make a living in. I mean, I think a lot of parents probably say that. Sure, yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I do know friends who, whose parents have forbade them from studying something that they really loved and mm. made them study something more, I guess, practical. Or, yeah, practical. <laughs> so I'm, I'm grateful that my parents did not do that. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I love sociology and I'm, I don't know if I'm necessarily good at it, but kind of just opened my world up a little bit more, I guess. Yeah. Well, what was it that drew you to sociology? It just seemed interesting, you know, the, the study of people and I don't know. I don't know what it was. Um, probably because it wasn't science or math, but <laughs> I did realize once I got to grad school, oh, you actually have to do statistics and yeah. you know, other <laughs> uninteresting things. And what did your sister end up doing? Same thing or was oh, she good even at worse. math? No, even worse. Anthropology. Oh, well, those are closely linked. <laughs> they are. <laughs> so not too far off. No. That's um, kind of funny that you two went into those similar kind of career fields. Yeah. We actually went to the same college too. And Oh, which uh, college did you end up going to? Uh, we both went to Notre Dame. Oh, very nice. So a big change from, from North Carolina. Yeah. Still, still a very white school, but... And I, I'm sure it has its 
you know, microaggressions and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, but I felt very comfortable and accepted there. So. Oh, that's good. Now, I mean, yeah. Why do you think that was if, if the diverse makeup of the schools were kind of similar? I don't know. I don't know if it's just because it was college and people were just more open-minded. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's a, that's a good question too. <laughs> From a sociological point yeah. of view, what, what would your answer be? Mm -hmm. um, so sociology and anthropology for your sister. That's really funny. And, you're, and mm -hmm. your father, I guess, and your mother were both accepting of both of those as your majors? They were. Well, my mom was an English major and then an educa education. I think she got her master's in education. Nice. So she knows, she knows what it's like. Um, <laughs> Did she end up bringing those skills to uh, Kuwait and North Carolina and all around? She did. Actually, in Kuwait, she ran her own preschool, which my sister and I were enrolled. Um, <laughs> of course. It's free. But yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, and it was, it was good. She, she was around when we got back to – when we moved to North Carolina. She, you know, didn't work for a while. And when she did return, she worked at a, a church preschool. So she was always there for us after school. Okay. Um, you know, which is, which is nice. Yeah, that's always nice. Yeah. Have your mom around. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, so North, or, sorry, Notre Dame, mm -hmm. um, you ended up studying sociology. What, did you particularly study anything, any specific part of sociology, any sociological topic or group or anything that you honed in on? I studied race. I was more interested in race for a while. Um, and then I kind of moved towards criminal justice mm. a little bit. Um, and so after college, I... I wanted to go to grad school, but I deferred a year. So I applied and got in and then I deferred and went to England for a year to volunteer Very um, nice. at a prison, actually. Wow. Um, or with a prison. So, yeah, I guess that was sort of, you know, my path more towards criminal justice, I suppose. Now, was that like with a racial bent to it or was it? No, it wasn't. No, it was just, it wasn't. Um so, I wish it would have been, but yeah. Yeah. Well, and then why an English prison rather than an American prison? Well, I had studied in England in, in undergrad and um, mm -hmm. had been there actually quite a bit through thanks to my dad's job. Um, I just <laughs> loved it. Um, and so I just found a um, – it was a Catholic program that you lived with people from all over and they, they found different volunteer assignments and, um, you know, just – seemed like kind of a neat thing to do and my sister actually went to london to get her master's degree at the same time um so we were in different parts of the country but still together are you guys like tied at the hip kind of because <laughs> i know twins can either go one way or the other where they don't want to do anything together and they're like no i'm my own person and then there are twins who are like i can't live without my twin and i feel bad for people who don't have a twin <laughs> So I'm guessing you guys are more of the latter. <laughs> we are, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, so I, a couple of friends uh, in AKA, also known as here in New York, who uh, who were twins, who are twins, I should say. And uh, yeah, they both recently moved to uh, Korea together. And uh -oh. yeah, they they I did a one of them organized a panel for uh, the New York Student Asian Americans Coalition or something like that. And the other one moderated the panel, and both of them are – they're very, very close. <laughs> I always find it interesting the amount of twins and triplets that are Korean adoptees actually out hmm. there. Have you noticed that at all? I've heard of 
were some, but I didn't know that there was enough to sort of catch people's eye. Yeah, I feel like there are a lot. It's crazy. And uh, even the amount that kind of end up do getting split up even by country and stuff like that, mm. how similar they are in personality mm-hmm. or same interest or um, natural ability, talent, I guess you would call it, stuff like that. It's it's super interesting. I don't know if you've seen the Netflix movie Twinsters. I did. Yeah, I did see it. What did you think about that? I thought it was really good. Um, obviously, foregone conclusion, they were twins. Yes. Also, but, um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's I can't imagine having a twin and not being raised together. I just, you know, I don't know. It just seems a strange thing, but I'm sure it's equally strange to them to discover they have a twin. Yeah, no kidding. Have you ever talked about that with your sister at all? Well, we we joked because we we found our birth parents, and we actually she and I have very different feelings about adoption and the mm-hmm. birth family search. But um, so I took a DNA test, and our birth mother took one. And then I've you know my sister and I always joked, well, we actually need to do one because what if we're not what if we're not actually related? <laughs> I, I'm assuming you're identical twins. We're not. We're fraternal, but we oh, look okay. like that people often think we are identical. <laughs> so you're fraternal, but you look enough alike that people will confuse you. I think so. I mean, I sometimes sometimes people can't tell we're related at all, and sometimes people can't tell us apart. So I guess it just depends on <laughs> on the know. day, yeah, <laughs> the outfit, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but like mannerisms and everything, do you feel like you're very similar? Very similar, and we we sound a lot. We sound identical on the phone, so that oh yeah, if we don't announce ourselves when we talk to our father on the phone, he doesn't know who's calling. Oh really? Mm-hmm. And do you think that's more of a function of how you were raised and the places that you grew up? Probably. Yeah, probably. You know, it's interesting too. So my, my sister's husband is a musician. He has perfect pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, and even he thinks that we sound alike. Like the other day we were, I called, I called him using my phone, but my sister started talking to him because we were driving and he thought it was me at first. Um, but then my kids, they can, t- they can tell who's talking. So she and I will do a oh, trick yeah? or we'll hide and we'll each, you know, we'll, t- we'll say something and they, they'll call out who's talking. And I think they've been wrong maybe twice. Wow, yeah. that's yeah, pretty good. It's, pretty, it's incredible, yeah. So they beat the musician. They did with the perfect pitch. That's right. <laughs> oh, did they ever tell you how they can figure it out? No, no, they they, they keep it a secret. Said. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and so yeah, let's get back. To, so we're back in Notre Dame now, <laughs> and or we're back in London, I should say. Mm-hmm. And wait, so did you answer the question about why you decided to go to a London or an English prison rather than an American prison? It was just an, I just found an English program and I thought, hey, I want to be in England for a year again. So, <laughs> and this is the way to do it. Exactly. What was that experience like in the English prison system? It was interesting. Um, there was a, a priest, an Irish priest, who kept arguing with me that I could not be American, and I know it was because I'm Asian, right? You know, and I thought this is ridiculous that I have to provide a passport to prove to this man that I'm American. Um, <laughs> But those were the only two incidents in terms of, you know, race that. That is so interesting because I've never had that experience in Europe where people are like, oh, you couldn't possibly be American. I've had those experiences in Asia more anywhere else Mm -hmm. because your (laughs) idea of the American is like the blonde haired, blue eyed or Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise type, not not, uh, somebody like me or you. And so when they're especially because they're so like, no, 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 you're Korean. It's like, well, clearly I am not culturally korean <laughs> right uh they're like no your english is just really good i'm like my english really isn't that good <laughs> um but that in england and europe i i've 
as soon as I open my mouth, they're usually like, oh, you're, you're American for mm. sure. And I would have thought so too, right? With me, but I don't know what this guy's agenda was if he had one or. Yeah. That's so bizarre. For him to call you, did he end up showing your passport to him to prove your citizenship? I don't remember if I did, but I think my flatmates were like, "Yeah, she's American." You know, like get over it. <laughs> How old was this guy? It must have been in his forties, I guess. Huh? At the time, yeah, not old. And he was still like, "No, no, you're not. You couldn't possibly yeah. be." Uh, <laughs> I'm like, okay, you got me. I'm Canadian, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> And how many uh, flatmates did you have? Were they all fellow students there uh, studying in the prison system? No. So everyone had different jobs. So I had, um, I think there were five, five others. Um, three were British, one was American, and then one was from Slovakia. Slovakia. And, wow. Yeah. We all did a variety of things. So. And you were the only one studying the prisons? I was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And so did, did you end up going to grad school? Did that experience inform any of your graduate it, Definitely, uh, yeah. Yeah, so I ended up studying or fo- focusing on um, criminology. So at the time, I went to the University of Florida for grad school. And at the time, they didn't have a separate criminology department. It was hmm. housed under sociology. So, um, yeah, my focus was criminology. Okay. And how did that kind of inform your education there? I mean, I would say that, yeah, because of the prison experience, that that was what I wanted to do. And I actually wanted to stay in England, but my parents were like, no, you can't. You have to. Like, <laughs> you're not working in a prison like you're coming back. <laughs> Did you ever end up working in a prison uh, in America? I, after grad school, I ended up working for a sheriff's office um, as a civilian. And so I would often have to go into jails, but I was not employed at a jail. Okay. Okay. Uh, I- what kind of work was it? Was it sociological work in the sheriff's office? What were they calling it? It was for? it was sad work. It was um child abuse investigations. Oh God. yeah. I only had one other guest who's kind of done that. Uh, and, and you might know her down in DC, Wendy Marie. She's a grad I've student seen the now. name. I don't think I've ever met her actually. Yeah, yeah. So she also has a similar experience where she was she did a short stint, I think a year or two as uh, doing kind of child abuse cases and working uh, mm-hmm. as a social worker for that kind of stuff. Um, those are those are pretty tough, I feel like. Is there anything from that kind of experience? Like, how did you end up getting that job? Like, so you're at a grad school, you finish mm-hmm. up your CJ or your criminology degree. Well, and- I'm, I'm embarrassed to say, but I was following a boyfriend. Oh, no. Yes. yes. <laughs> well, he wasn't the sheriff, was he? No, no. He actually worked for Tropicana. He was a chemical engineer for Tropicana. And they mm-hmm. were, I, I moved, they were headquartered in Bradenton, Florida. Um, so all the oranges him. are. That's right. <laughs> so, wait, how did you meet this guy? In, in grad, well, at, at Florida. In Florida? Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't like you went to University of Florida to follow him there. You met him no, there. No, no. Right. Yes. yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. Why, why, uh, why University of Florida? You just want some sun apart from England? Um, well, to be honest, they were one of the few that would accept the deference. Oh, um, really? Okay. So that was, that was kind of it. <laughs> so you end up going to Florida. You, you follow this guy to, wait, wait, wait. So you're already in Florida. You followed him mm-hmm. to, what, how did the sheriff's office get into this? I just needed a job and it just, it looked interesting and connected to sociology. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a little tough for me being a civilian in a law enforcement agency. Um, 
and it wasn't necessarily the work itself that drove me away, um, although that is, was pretty depressing. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I was just ready for change. At the time, Bradenton was a town where it was like families and retirees, and I was 24. Yeah, um, you know, <laughs> that's so, pretty tough. Yeah, so the boyfriend and I broke up, and my sister actually was in D.C. at the time at the labor department. Mm-hmm. And her office had an opening, and I applied and got it. So I've been here since 2001. Oh, nice. And uh, so do you still work at the labor department? I do not. I work at the justice department now. Ah, so you're DOJ. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what do you do at the Department of Justice? I, I'm a grant manager. It's um, it's a lot of paper pushing, but it, it can be worthwhile at times. Um, so I manage drug court grants and wrongful convictions. So the people who were, you know convicted mm-hmm. um but are innocent or they're trying to prove their innocence okay so so they're still in the middle of their cases a lot of the time when you're um the paperwork gets to you yes yeah, so i mostly give grants to agencies that um are lawyers so you know I, so if you're from new york you i'm sure you've heard of the innocence project there mm-hmm. yeah um so they used to be one of our grantees and there are a couple of other new york um grantees that we have i'm actually coming up to new york next week to to monitor one of them so okay do you find that to be sociologically uh rewarding for you i do that that work i do i mean i'm so far removed from actually doing anything meaningful but at least i feel like i can play my little part um I would, I would argue against that i would say that that's meaningful work even if it's just paperwork you know that kind of Hard labor. I mean, it's not hard labor like breaking rocks, but to me, to me, I would rather be outside breaking rocks than filing paperwork. So, so yeah. I think that that work is important, even though it's probably, you know, a, a kind of annoying and it, but, but it has to get done. Right. Like, right. That's kind of, I think some of the biggest parts of the court system is paperwork, either getting filed on time or not getting filed in a timely manner. <laughs> that is true. So that kind of work, I would say, is very important, especially, I'm sure, to the people who uh, were wrongly convicted. They mm-hmm. just want to get out of there as soon as they possibly can. Right, right. Right. So I, I would say that that is definitely important work. Even if you're not the face that they see uh, doing the hard work, I would say that, you know, they're probably thankful that any work is getting done on those cases. Mm. So don't don't beat yourself up over that is what <laughs> we're yeah. all Okay. <laughs> Thanks. So, and then is your sister still in DC? She is. She lives five minutes from me. Oh. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you guys are pretty close then? Very close. And I'm really lucky, actually. My husband's mother is a twin. Um, so he is used to twin relationships. And, you know, I mm-hmm. think some people may feel threatened or, um, you know, just not understand the closeness that some twins can have, mm-hmm. um, but he, he gets it. So I'm, I'm really lucky that, you know, so he has said on a couple of times, Oh, did your sister live here? Like, you know, like, um, but I think, yeah, he's, he's, he's a good, good man. <laughs> and how did you two meet? We met at the labor department. Ah, actually. yes. Yes. This is guy you this job and your husband. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're going to pivot a little bit. Uh, you kind of mentioned that your sister and you have a little bit of a diverse opinion. This is where the, we start to see a little bit of a split from you two mm-hmm. <laughs> um, on the topic of adoption and birth search. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like when you were growing up that you both had kind of a similar feeling towards returning to Korea at the time when you were, when you were children. 
Mm-hmm. Um, when did that really start to change for you where you got more interested in your adoption and birth search? Um, it was actually around the time that my husband and I were adopting our child. Um, and I realized um, we, my sister and I were adopted through what was David Livingston out of New York at the time. And so after we moved to Kuwait, I believe they um, either disbanded or were um, taken in by, I think, Dylan International. Hmm. Um, and so my parents had lost all contact and no one, you know, obviously, but before email and whatever. So they just had no idea what happened to David Livingston. And they were always told that they, there was no information on us. Um, and they, they were very open about it. Um, they just said, we don't know anything, you know, and we don't know what happened to your agency. And so as I was researching agencies to use for our adoption, I realized that Dylan was actually David Livingston. Mm. And so I wrote to them and they were, they're like, yeah, we have all this information on you. Wow. Um, so that sort of, I guess, opened up, you know, oh, maybe I can do a little bit of searching. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I wouldn't say it was it was not a, a pressing concern of mine or, you know, a burning desire to do this search. It's just sort of, um, it just seemed, it was there and it just seemed, well, why not try to. It was an opportunity that kind of opened itself up to you. Right, Exactly. So you didn't really get into this again until you decided to adopt your own kids with mm-hmm. your husband. Did mm-hmm. you talk about that with your sister at all? About uh, either the adoption kids of your kids or mm-hmm. uh, opening up a birth search, the opportunity to open up and dig a little bit deeper into your own past. Um, we didn't talk about it too too much because at the, at the time the agency said, "Well, here's the information that we have," but we don't know anything more and we can't locate anyone else. And so t- mm. to me, it was kind of, um, kind of dead at that point. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was, at, I was fine with that. That was obviously a lot more information than we'd ever known before. Um, and so every so often I would check in with the adoption agency and they would say, no, we're sorry. Um, you know, nothing more can be done. And then very randomly, do, do you know, um, Rayanne Johnson, do you know her? Uh, I don't think I do. She's, she lives in, I think, Leesburg here in Virginia. Um, she had the Korean company M- MBC was mm-hmm. making a, a documentary about her birth family search. Oh, really? And so they invited a bunch of area CAD women to come and be filmed, sort of having this roundtable. And the producer took a great interest in my story, I think partly because she has twins herself, twin daughters herself. And, you know, the information that the adoption agency gave had um my parents full names oh really um and those weren't redacted or anything those weren't blacked out no no wow Um, and they had um you know we have three brothers and they had the brothers ages um and our birth parents ages and so there was enough that she thought that she could get the famous sergeant lee yeah um, that's a lot of information it is a lot of information um you said there wasn't so, that much information. <laughs> there wasn't. I had names, but the agency said we can't, you know, we know your father is dead and we know one brother lives in Japan, but we don't know what happens to your other brothers and mother. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, you know, not obviously speaking Korean and I, I wasn't able to pursue anything okay. um, until this sort of chance encounter yeah. with the NBC people. So did they forward the information to this famous Sergeant Lee? Who I've heard a lot about at this point yes. now. Oh, you have? Yes, yes. Um, They did. And uh, a few months later, they called back and they wanted to make a documentary about our search. And my sister said, absolutely not. Um, (laughs) She put the kibosh on that one, huh? She did. She's a very private person and she works in a job. Um, I'll just 
say with national involving national security and so she um doesn't, doesn't want to be on, on camera yeah. and yeah that's understandable um, so that kind of put a little bit of rift between us i guess because mm. you know i felt like you're sort of standing in my way of you know finding our family um but i have of course respected her wishes and um but it, as it turned out sergeant lee found over three thousand women with our mother's exact name oh and age. popular name then huh yes <laughs> and somehow he whittled it down to one woman and it was her and you did the dna test and everything and did the dna and, test yep and he got it huh he got it no that's wonder right. this guy's famous yes so that's right <laughs> Wow. So how quickly did that kind of occur? Like from the time that you met the NBC director who forwarded your information to the time that he came with the results to say like, oh, we whittled it down to this one woman and uh, I'd like to do a DNA test to prove it positive. I can't remember if I met her in December of 2014 or if it was February 2015. But in any case, it was all um, confirmed in, I think, June or July of last year. So quick, very quick, I think, in terms of... Um, yeah, I would say. Yeah. I mean, most adoptees search and search and search. I mean, also, I, I'm not sure how many people have actually heard about Sergeant Lee. I think the only way that I've heard about him through a couple of different stories was doing this show. And over the course of 40 plus interviews now, I've heard about <laughs> this guy probably three or four times. <laughs> so, you know, he, yes, he's a central figure when I do the... Uh, line and block chart or yes. <laughs> whatever it is in the sheriff's office that they do. Um, he's kind of a central figure in terms of birth search, but for people that don't know who he is, um, maybe could you elaborate a little bit on him? Do you have direct contact with this guy? Or was it all through this NBC producer or? It was all through what? the NBC producer. So um, he, I, he works, I believe for Korean agency that helps reunite missing children and families. So it's not specific to adoptees, but mm -hmm. I, my understanding was he worked on it and, you know, in his spare time because he just felt drawn to the cause. And then I know he's expanded his team. So I'm not sure if they've officially been given permission to work on adoption cases under his police duties, or if he still does it in his spare time. Um, but yeah, he's, um, and what is this guy's full name? I've only heard him referred to as Sergeant Lee. <laughs> <laughs> I have his card somewhere, so I, I don't remember off the top of my head. Okay. Um, and I was told that he doesn't, he understands some English, but does not read it or speak it. So if okay. anyone ever wants to contact him, they should make sure they have their information translated into Korean. Mm -hmm. so that's yeah. my little PSA. And the other thing is, I've never heard about this guy from any adoption agency. It always seems to be through like an NBC producer or mm -hmm. through, through mm -hmm. other person who's not necessarily affiliated with any of the agencies or things that people would traditionally go through to like do a birth search. Mm -hmm. Maybe I've heard of them through of him through goal or something, you know, one of the nonprofits or NGOs mm -hmm. over there in Korea. Um, but it's interesting to me that this guy kind of took this up as a cause mm -hmm. and that it keeps coming up and like has a, I don't know if it's a high, but it's higher than I've heard most people say that like he's actually found the families of these adoptees. Yeah, yeah, he's a good success rate. <laughs> Pretty high success rate, uh, considering like cases that I would say, um, I'd be like, oh, that's a dead end. There's no way. Mm -hmm. Or like even, you know, I, I was saying, kind of remarked that 
you there was a lot of facts there in your file that I'm like, oh yeah, these would be good leads. If I were some kind of detective, that sounds right. pretty good, promising. But then you know, if somebody came back to me and said, oh yeah, we found uh, 300 women with that exact birthday, that age, and that name, I'd be like, oh god, <laughs> well, you know, I'm not gonna get 300 women to agree to a DNA test. <laughs> right, <laughs> three thousand women actually. Oh, three thousand. I'm sorry. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, even more. So it, it's, um pretty amazing that he does this work even especially if it's in his spare time right that it seems like he does it for a lot of people Mm -hmm. um so what happens next after you do the dna test and it's percent 100 percent positive that you Mm -hmm. guys are are related Mm -hmm. um so we made arrangements to fly out in october so october of 2015 Mm -hmm. um so my sister came obviously and my this is very recent this is about a year ago yeah a year ago yeah um i was gonna bring my kids and my parents but my dad ended up having emergency surgery on his leg and i decided it was i didn't want to be a mother to my children and a daughter to my adoptive mom and a daughter to my birth mom at the same time. Like there's just a lot going on. Um, So I just wanted to focus on being a daughter to someone that I'd never met before. Um, And I also, so only one of my kids is adopted, um, but I felt like I owed more to her than her first time in Korea being a mix of a lot of other stuff going on. Uh I feel like she deserves a trip dedicated to, you know, her. Sure. She's a Korean adoptee as well. She is. Yeah. From Busan. Oh, okay. And, does she have an interest in going back to Korea? Not, not so much. I mean, she <laughs> is, yeah, like it's adoption. It's weird in our family. Um, it's, she's not really that interested in adoption. And I, you know, and I worry that, are we missing something? You know, I hear that a lot of other kids her age, you know, she's eight, um, are more introspective and asking questions. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've told her that I'm there for her. And if she ever wants to talk about something and I try to start conversations and, I don't think she's hiding from anything. She's just, it's just not an issue for her at this sure, point. Yeah. And, you know, I, I suspect it's because she's surrounded by adoption. You know, her mom is adopted. Her, her beloved aunt is adopted. Like, it's not an unusual thing in our family. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I, it, whereas my son, who's bio to me, has, I believe, adoption issues. Like, he wishes he were adopted. Wow. That's a, yeah. we're going we're gonna to circle back to that. Yeah. That's a, he's a weird one. I want to hear a little bit more about, uh, your your trip to Korea. So you made the decision kind of that it's unfair to kind of, it's almost like a, a like a burden to be like somebody who's not even interested right now in, in exploring adoption at all to kind of bring her on this trip to Korea. <laughs> to, yeah. And like, you know, where I could focus stuff. on her and any feelings of hers that might come up, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we went um, and I do have to say the 15 hour trip was amazing without children. So, <laughs> so we'd yeah. actually been before once to adopt her, but you know, this is our second time back to Korea and it, it felt like a vacation on that plane. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to go back to Korea so I can go without kids and sit on the plane for 15 hours. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thumb through all the movies. Exactly. Eat, drink, sleep. Like, yeah. Some um, of the best uh, airline food out there. Right. <laughs> Um, so it, it was good. It was a good reunion. Um, you know, I think probably as good as it's going to get. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, try- it's a little hard trying to figure out where post reunion we all fit into each other's lives. Um, sure. Well, what was it? So you get off the plane. Where do you end up going? 
so we, we went to Seoul. We went to um, Insidong and mm-hmm. had a, quite a nice hotel. And um, That's a nice the, area. I like Insidong. It is, yeah. Um, and important for us because my sister and I are actually vegetarians, which is very hard to be a to eat Korean food when you're vegetarian just because everything has fish paste and yeah yeah it's true <laughs> this and that so they have some they had a, a really good vegan restaurant that we had found on our first trip so we were very nice and we like to eat so we were determined to be as close to the, the food that we can eat as possible mm-hmm. um and then the, the following day the producer took us out to where they live which is i think it's namyeonju namyeonju yep yeah it's a little bit north of seoul maybe yeah like what a half an hour or so if you're driving yeah, a little bit more, I think. Um, okay. So they were all there. Three brothers, um, their families, birth mom. Wow. So the whole family. It wasn't just your mother. It was it was right. everybody. Right. Everybody on, on the piece of paper that you had uncovered. That's right. That mysteriously reappeared. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and how was that? You know, it was, it was interesting. So I, I don't know how often people share the details of, I guess, their adoption story. I mean, I'm not shy about it so it the story we were told by the adoption agency was completely different than the reality mm-hmm. um, well what were you what were you told uh we were told they were very poor which was true and that um they just knew they wouldn't be able to raise daughters after they had three sons mm-hmm. um there's a lot of kids that that's a heck of a lot of kids <laughs> um and our father was disabled and not able to work either at mm-hmm. all or much and you know it was just a, a a question of poverty because in the seventies, you know, Korea for some people is still very poor. Mm-hmm. Um, well, according to our birth mother, she was told she didn't know she was having twins and, um, she was very sick and she, our birth father and his mother told her that we had died at childbirth and took us to the adoption agency. And she had no idea that we had survived. Wow. Um, when Sergeant Lee called her initially to say, are you so-and-so? And did you have daughters? She said no. And according to him, he kept saying, I know you do. Why are you lying? You know, what's the deal? Oh, God. Um, oh, no. In that Korean way. Um, yeah. <laughs> the very de- detective way. <laughs> yes. Um, and so I guess that's when she put two and two together and realized what had happened. But, you know, the, oh, the wow. two people who did it are dead. So there's no way to yeah. you know, corroborate. Um Oh, that's terrible, though, that she had thought for so many years that you two had died. It, it fact... is sad, yeah. Oh, God, she must have been heartbroken. She, Yeah, you know, and she kept on saying how old she was, but she's only 69, which to me is not that's old. Not, that's not that old. No, <laughs> you know, just saying like, oh, she's wasted so many years. And, um, you know, I, 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 felt, I felt for her. I didn't feel a connection to her, per se. Mm. Um, she felt more of an elderly aunt, mm-hmm. kind of. Um, whereas I felt more connection with our brothers because we don't have brothers in the right. U.S. So, you know, I already have a mother, but I don't have brothers. So what were their, all, all their reactions to the news that a, that you had actually survived and had grown up in America and Kuwait they, for a short time. Uh, they said they were shocked and happy, but there's a translation problem or I don't know. It's, it's not easy talking to them. Yeah. Um, so um, well, you said you had more of a relationship or a closeness, at least at that first meeting with your brothers. So how did how was how did that go? So our young so our youngest brother is only two years older than we are, mm-hmm. um, and he was he just seemed like a regular brother, just someone who teased a lot and you know kidded around and 
he has kids who are close to my kids' ages. Um, so, yeah, just and the, the oldest brother I think is almost fifty, mm -hmm. um, and he didn't seem as interested in us. Really? Um, yeah, and I don't I don't know why that is. Um, huh? That's so interesting that 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 there wouldn't be at least some kind of passive interest or something like that if you found out that you had siblings that you had no idea it existed before yeah <laughs> i'd at least have some he, kind yeah. of interest to be like oh i'm sorry what happened i don't know if he's just too old he's just like i don't care like you know this is i've gone 50 years without you i don't need you huh. um you know probably there's just no practical impact on each other's lives at this point well how do you feel about that i'm actually fine with it yeah um you know it's a lot to try to manage for other people new people in your life um sure so, do you yeah. have any on, a year later? Do you have an ongoing relationship with any of them? Are you talking with any of them via email or cacao talk or any of that? Well, you know, it's it's interesting. So, birth mom, I've had a little bit of resentment <clears throat> towards her. Mm. Um, you know, I feel like she wants to play the role of mother, but not put in any of the work either. So I feel like it's a very one-sided relationship. I cacao her and whatnot, and she never responds. And yeah. You know, I've asked my brothers about it, and they're like, oh, she's old. She doesn't know how to use technology. But, <clears throat> excuse me, in my mind, she lives with or lived with my oldest brother who had two teenage kids. And so in my mind, mm -hmm. she could have at least said to them, hey, you know, your aunt is texting. Like, I'm not good at texting, but can you tell her let's write letters instead or something. So, yeah. Um, but, you know, my sister – is having a lot of health problems right now and you know she wanted to fly out immediately and be there and you know i just my sister and i both kind of felt resentful like you want to act like you're our mother but you don't put anything back into it i don't mm -hmm. know i i understand that maybe it's cultural um yeah i mean I, maybe she has a little bit of like pride or something like that she doesn't want to admit that she doesn't know how to use cacao talk or or whatever um email something I don't know, uh, but that's that sounds pretty tough. I mean, it, it's a reality. I think that a lot of people who are currently doing their birth search or are thinking about doing a birth search really should think about because I don't think your story is necessarily uncommon. Mm -hmm. Where you do a reunion if you are fortunate enough to do a reunion, and, but that relationship doesn't necessarily uh, stay, or that they don't realize that the the relationship might be strained in some way, uh, depending on the circumstances surrounding the adoption, um, what they've been through in the past X many years mm -hmm. uh, without you. And, you know, the function of how well they can or cannot use technology. Mm -hmm. uh, there are a lot of factors out there that need to be thought of for people who are kind of doing a birth search and whether or not to continue that relationship. Cause I feel like a lot of adoptees out there who are thinking about doing it or currently doing it kind of look at it as like the end of a book or the end of a movie mm -hmm. where it's like, Oh, we're reunited. And they don't think about what happens past that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. So my sister, she's the kind that she, she's like, I've gotten my answers. I'm good. I don't need to talk to them or see them again. Mm -hmm. And she's not, she's not angry. She's just, you know, she's never dumb. had a curiosity, a particular curiosity anyway. She just did it because I was doing it. Um, yeah. She was just along for the ride. Yeah. I mean, she wouldn't have done it on her own. Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, I would well, like to keep some sort of relationship with them and just trying to figure out how. Um, yeah. 
Well, it sounds like your youngest brother might be the most amenable to that. Yeah. So actually, his his son, his oldest son, I think he was ten or ten. Uh huh. Um, just was in Atlanta for a couple months, and so oh, really? my family and I drove down and we hung out with him for the weekend. Um, you know, and I I had planned on going there in October, but like I said, my sisters had a lot of health problems, um, mm. and I, I I couldn't ask my parents to watch my kids and take care of her. Um, yeah, yeah. So, how did you bring your kids along when you went down to Atlanta to yeah, visit their cousin? Yeah, they all were wild together, like terribly mannered. <laughs> um, that's when I realized, oh, after like three years of Korean class, my kids do not know how to talk in Korean. In Korean. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, is it like a once a week Korean class, like on Saturday mornings? It is, yeah. I mean, that's Maybe tough. That's tough. <laughs> so they could probably like read and write okay, but if you don't speak it and hear it every day, it's very difficult. <laughs> so, but does your... Uh, nephew i guess does he speak english pretty well it's pretty decent it's yeah yeah he, he definitely has the best english out of the family so well i guess um, he's you know it's been a recent push to kind of push it into the education system as soon as possible mm -hmm. <laughs> so he's probably learning it as well as you know kids today are learning spanish or anything yeah um so they got along all right were they curious about having like a new cousin that they never met from korea no they were curious but i don't know if they fully understand adoption i mean i've heard that kids don't really get it until they get the birds and the bees and yeah i've had sure. that talk with them but i don't think it really has sunk in right yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so uh, how is it for you being an adoptee and also an adoptive mother you said that you know your son is the one that kind of feels left out a little bit being a biological kid in a family mm -hmm. full of adoptees and now he has mm -hmm. you know this new cousin from korea mm -hmm. <laughs> and this new family from korea that you kind of don't really talk to that much it sounds like but uh what are his feelings on all of this well he's he's sick so he's sort of this complicated little six-year-old guy um, yeah i just I, I get the feeling that yeah he is um He's slightly angry and resentful that, you know, because he's always said, well, Casey is adopted. And when you're adopted, that means you're special. And, you know, you love Casey more than you love me, um, which I guess that probably any set of siblings feels that way. Um, yeah. but, you know, I, I do feel like adoption adds a, uh, a bigger. It adds a little bit of a wrinkle to the equation. Yeah. So how do you deal with that? Probably poorly. Um, you know, I've just said, well. You know, Casey is adopted, but Casey, we, I try to say was adopted, um, you know, but each of you, you know, she started our family, you finished it, you know, I, I don't know what else to say to him, you know, other than that, I just, I love him and. Well, and he's still special too. I mean, he's a part yeah. of you and your, and your husband, right? Mm -hmm. So that's special in its own, in its own way. It is. Yeah. It's like you have the best of daddy and the best of me. You know? Yeah, exactly. And so is he also uh, going to Korean classes and learning he, he all is. that? He is, yeah, yeah. What are his feelings on a Korean class at six? <laughs> he hates it. And he's like, why, you know, why do you make us do it and you're not learning it too? I'm like, well, valid point, you know. That's, that's to a do pretty better good for <laughs> position for a six-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> How do you answer that? I, I think I've just said, well, I you know, I try and it's difficult um, for me. But I, I will try and 
but you know, look six year old, you know, you're going to do better for yourself than I did. So that's just something my parents should have forced me to do. So I'm doing it to you. Yeah. There you go. You could also, I don't know, maybe if you have any future interaction with, uh, your older brother, um, perhaps you could mention that, you know, your cousin is also learning English and doing pretty mm-hmm. good. Perhaps you could meet him halfway and learn a little bit of Korean. That's right. <laughs> you guys could be pen pals or something. That's right. <laughs> I need you to be my translator the next time I go over. So Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and when do you think uh, maybe you'll go back? I would like to go back in a year. So next October, it just seems um, the weather is nice there. and Yeah, it's pretty good in the fall. It's not oppressively hot like it is in August or July. Yeah, It's not freezing cold like it is in February or March. <laughs> but just trying to think, you know, when will we take our kids? Because I don't think that will be a frequent trip, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just well, it's also very out. expensive, too. Extremely expensive, yep. Excuse me. Are you planning on going? Uh, yeah, are you planning on going with your kids, or are you just gonna do that fifteen-hour vacation without them? <laughs> I would like to do the vacation without them for this next trip. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, we were just we just need to figure out you know when for our kids when will it when will it count for them? You know when when yeah. can they appreciate it the most and um, you know maybe understand adoption a little bit better and. Um, and- are you, you know, it's a little bit different circumstances than what you or I grew up with in terms of availability of adoption resources out there and things like that. And also you being a, a, an adoptive mother, do you feel the need to kind of um, bring your daughter around to any adoptee related events, adoption related events or camps or whatever? You know, it's, that's a good question. So last summer we did Camp Rice. Um, it's, there's a group Asia here that a lot of, um, I think, you know, like Spencer and all those people, a lot of them volunteer with, and, mm-hmm. um, they run a, a Saturday school or culture school once a month, but we haven't been able to do it just because my kids are in Korean class and we have to pay regardless of whether they go or not. And it's not cheap. So yeah, <laughs> going to Korean school. Um, so she and I did the, the camp last year. Um, she enjoyed it. I probably need to get her more involved with adoptee groups. But again, like it's just, it's, it's hard for me to know where to focus right now. Like, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I'm probably a little all over the map with that. Yeah. Well, kids are all over the map and they're figuring stuff out of what they're interested, not interested in too. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's always a delicate balance of how much do I push my kid into something that they don't want to do like Korean class, but will right. be good for them versus just letting them go to like soccer camp or something. Right. <laughs> You know, and I've really had to come to terms with, you know, my story is not her story and my feelings on adoption may not be hers. You know, I feel mm-hmm. like I'm particularly well suited to answer questions and to be there for her being an adoptee myself. But, sure. you know, she may not feel at all the same way about adoption. Um, mm-hmm. And I just have to remember that, you know, it's her journey. And uh, before I had done the whole birth family reunion, I had always thought, well, you know, Eastern's age of search is 13, but maybe I could sort of fudge it and, you know, get her to do like a DNA test early. And, and after the whole reunion thing, I realized, you know, no, you know, like this is her, she has to be fully informed and give her full consent, you know, because she could, you know, I don't want to open Pandora's box for her and, you know, bring, you know, bring upon her like feelings of burden or, you know, anything that she's not ready to accept for her own self. And, um, and I actually have sort of changed my mind, you know, given she has a difficult story, 
Um, and now I actually think, well, maybe I think you should be actually 18 before you start to walk. Mm. Um, I'll, I'll take it how it goes. And I've told her that whatever she wants to do, I will support her and help her in any way. But um, yeah, my feelings about searching is, is younger children have changed. Yeah. And, you know, maybe she's closer to her aunt in that regard where she doesn't have that natural curiosity mm-hmm. uh, or she has all the answers that she needs right now and that she wants. And it's good that you're open to supporting her in the future, whatever her decision may be, because I think that's a healthy way of looking at it um, and a healthy way of supporting her uh, in that she needs to be ready for her own stuff. And, you know, that's one thing I would not necessarily push people or especially if I had kids, my kids towards if they weren't willing to do it, I would, I don't think I'd, I think you made the right decision, not just uh, cotton swabbing her mouth and sending it off right. to <laughs> ancestry DNA. Exactly. Or yeah. and he's like, hey, uh, new birth relatives. Congrats. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's it's true. She probably needs to come to that decision if she wants to open up that box herself or not. Exactly. Yeah. Do you know the uh, circumstances surrounding her adoption? We do, and it, it's not the typical. You know, I'll, I'll keep that private, obviously, but sure. it's, it's not the typical single young mother. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it is a difficult story. And I think one that my husband and I will probably seek counseling for when it comes time to tell her exactly why. And, you know, yeah. I do think she has a right to see her, the papers that yep. we got, um, which say everything, you know, everything, you know, good and bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's something that he and I have been wrestling with was when is the appropriate time to tell her exactly why. Sure. Um, well, and you know, it might not be up to you either if she starts mm-hmm. asking, right? Because I mean, I've been doing, I've been involved with adoption or some type of adoption related event or activity since I was very little, but I didn't really start asking to see my file and stuff till I was 12. Mm-hmm. So even with an active interest in the topic of adoption, um, that kind of self-discovery or wants of self-discovery didn't really come around till my preteen teen age so mm-hmm. uh you never know um at what age she might become curious about this this kind of information and, and you know what that really means for her uh going forward and it's interesting so she's she's asked in general terms oh why and you know i've said well your parents weren't prepared to you know raise a child etc cetera, etc cetera. but my son, you know, was asking the other day, actually, why? Why was Casey adopted? And I've said to him, you know, that's her story that, you know, she can choose to share with you. But, um, you know, it was interesting. He was the one who was more pushing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's another thing that I think parents with adopted kids have to sort of think about is, you know, as a family, how much do you share? But, you know, what remains the adoptee's private story as well? I don't know. It's yeah. And you have an interesting balance of having a mix of an adoptive child and a biological child mm-hmm. um, that also adds a couple of complications, I think, to the, to the factorial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it sounds like you're balancing it well. Trying. And, and your yeah. own story and your own family very well. And, uh, you know, it, it's difficult to balance all of that. You know, being a mother to two young children and also having to deal with this family in Korea, and that's a whole other relationship. And then your relationship with your sister, who kind of sounds like she's on board in as much as she wants to know what you find out, but not really mm-hmm. want to be an active participant in. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
then my um, husband who's just like i want to you know I, I love korea i want to go back um yeah yeah well you know uh maybe uh, it sounds like if her health improves maybe she can go with you uh, next year when you when you want to go back yeah she, you know she actually just got married so I, oh and congratulations to her oh, i'll pass it along <laughs> thanks to the husband with perfect pitch yes um, but i've <laughs> I, they had talked about, you know, t- going to Korea and introducing her husband to um, the birth family. But they were very – so last year they were dating but not engaged at the time. And they were kind of appalled that she was 39 and not married yet. Oh, the Korean family? Yes, the Korean family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's fairly typical. <laughs> they and, would have been yeah. appalled even if she were 30, I think, and not married. <laughs> yeah, it was – a lot of cultural cultural things yeah. going on there. Koreans are yeah, I like to think that they're culturally still like the US in the fifties and sixties. They're they're technologically they're very advanced, but culturally it's still very kind of old school. The our oldest brother asked me through Google Trans no, he actually said the word in English if my sister was a virgin. <laughs> I'm like, you'll have to ask her that. Oh boy. Uh, yeah, they have, uh, no compunction about asking very personal questions or saying things very directly either. I had a girlfriend in, uh, well, when I was living in Korea who taught English and, uh, I think she had them do kind of like oral presentations about describing their friend or their best friend Mm -hmm. in class. And the one of them was like, this is my best friend. He is very fat. But he is also very funny. That is why I like him. And it was just like, and the friend was like, "Yeah, yep." Oh. <laughs> it was like, this is just the way they are sometimes. Yeah, within half an hour of meeting birth mother for the first time, she informed me I had too many facial moles. <laughs> did I want her to make an appointment with her dermatologist for me? Mm-hmm. And if I did, I better tell her now so she could make the appointment and I could heal before I left. <laughs> I saw this one piece about uh, American men, uh, particularly even like Asian men, dating in Korea. And they'd go on dates and the women would be like, you have very big pores and they need to be cleaned. And it's like, what? Who would notice that thing about me? Like, I don't even think about that. But now I'm very self-conscious about my pores. But uh, yeah, Koreans are – they're – <laughs> that's yeah they, they were the shocked they by the vegetarianism which i expected um oh that's interesting is, yeah he's not a vegetarian so they um you know prepared a lot of food and we would go out to eat a lot and every time mm-hmm. you know he would eat meat they would just go crazy you know? <laughs> so i'm glad he was there to save our family name <laughs> from shame <laughs> did he did he eat any kimchi does he like kimchi he is not a big fan of kimchi are you a fan so. of kimchi I find it difficult to eat because of all the fish paste and oh, shrimp yeah, and anchovy yeah, right. stuff. So I'm really particular about what I eat. Oh man, double double X. <laughs> I know, I know. Vegetarian and she doesn't eat kimchi. Oh, I know. Oh, they were like, oh, just go back to the U.S. <laughs> this is why your brother, your oldest brother, showed less interest. That's right. <laughs> that, that was it. Is the kimchi. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, I want to thank you for coming on the show and, and sharing your story. Um, is there any way that people can get in touch with you or, or are you open to people getting in touch with you online on, on Facebook or anything? Um, sure. I mean, I'm sort of boring, but yeah, anyone wants to reach out. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> um, How do they do I, that? Just look for you. <laughs> oh, yeah. So 
I think I'm the only Carrie Vitalo Logan on Facebook. Um, or I don't know. I can always give you my email. Well, you have my email address too. Mm-hmm. Well, are are you open to that? Sure. You want me to say it? Sure. If you, I mean, if you want to, yeah. There's no oh. pressure here. You don't have to sure. give out your email address on a podcast. Um. So it's Irish for Notre Dame, Gator for Florida one. So irishgator one at gmail.com. and someone else was Irish Gator, oddly enough. So that's why I'm the one. Wow. Um, yeah, so irishgator1 at, at gmail.com. Okay. So they can email you at Gmail or they can find you on Facebook. Should yes. they want to get in touch and share their story uh, yes, with you. Yes, and you can see a picture of my crazy family on Facebook. So. <laughs> it's in a, it's an interesting, broad family, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. And I wish you the best of uh, luck keeping in touch with your birth family in Korea. Yeah, thank you. Raising your adoptive and your biological child. Mm-hmm. And uh, your relationship with your husband and your sister and your parents. Oh, well, thanks for having me. I, this was this was fun. I, I hope you had a good time. Was it, what do you think? Was it good? It was good. Yeah, it's weird to talk about yourself. <gasps> All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Bye. All right, and that was my conversation with Carrie. I want to thank Carrie again for coming on the show, opening up about her story, about her family, and about her experiences growing up in her non-her adoptee journey. All right, I just want to reiterate again, you're going to be hearing a lot more because it's kind of the hot-button issue right now in the adoptee community about the Adoptee Rights Campaign and what you can do to support the Adoptee Citizenship Act. Uh, If you haven't already, go back and listen to episodes featuring Emily Kessel who's kind of leading the charge on that. Uh, She's down there in in, uh, the D.C. area kind of doing the hard work and getting all the people together to grant citizenship to all adoptees, okay? This is a very important issue, and if you're a listener of this show, this probably affects you in some way, shape, or form. Even if you don't fall into that loophole or you don't have kids who fall into that loophole, please, please have some empathy for the people that do fall into that loophole and that legislative oversight that needs to be closed, all right? Again, Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can always find me on iTunes, on Google Play, on Podbean. The latest two episodes are always up on SoundCloud. And you can always recommend them to friends, friends and family, people who you think would get a kick out of listening to these kinds of shows and the stories of all different adoptees of every ilk. Because every single one of us has different stories to share, different stories to tell. And, but even so, we have a similar shared experience, even if we live in kind of different areas of the country or the world that seem uh, disparate, I I suppose is what the word I'm looking for. Disparate, is that correct? Uh, Where you kind of seem a little bit isolated in yourself and you'll find that there are people who you can share your experiences growing up with. And should you want to share those experiences with me to share with everybody else who listens to this, you should send me an email at therambleradhd at gmail.com and get in touch so we can coordinate and we can have a similar conversation to the one you heard today and like the other ones that you can subscribe to on those platforms that I just told you about. Uh, you can also get in touch with me on Facebook. You can like my Facebook page. I'm at facebook.com slash therambleradhd. And you can follow me on Twitter for all my crazy tweets at therambleradhd. Just look for the Rambler ADHD on Twitter and you'll find me. You'll see my face and you'll see a link to all the cool stuff that I do, uh, including this podcast and where to find it. Oh, what else? Music Today is provided by The Bell and Needle Drop Records and a collective effort. You can also find their music on SoundCloud as well. Check them out. Check them out. What else is new? I don't know. 
I saw a bunch of movies this week, documentaries. I guess I can give you a movie recommendation. If you have Netflix, check out The 13th, okay? It's not Friday the 13th, although it's much scarier. I think it's an important piece of work regarding what has happened in this country, in the black community, since the 13th Amendment had been passed. And you should just check it out. You should check it out. I think it's an important piece of filmmaking, an important piece of um, documenting, an important piece of American history up through today. All right? It's very important that you listen to the voices of minorities within this country and their experiences because they have valid points to put out there to the world. Uh, And it's a good documentary. It's a very well-made documentary. I will say that. All right? Uh, What else is new? Nothing? Nothing? Oh, I almost forgot to plug myself. Check this out. Hold on. I almost forgot to tell you guys about uh, my next event. I will be at All Together Now Parents Group uh, doing this talk there, moderated by past guest, friend of the show, Julie Young, uh, who's also the creator of Dream Maker, Dream Doer, Dream Supporter, and the uh, host of Not Your Average, which is on KoreanAmericanStory.org. Now, you must be a member of ATN and pay to attend. So if you're in the New York City area, you're an adoptive parent, and you want to uh, see me live in person and get to know me and ask some questions that you might think will assist somehow in the raising of your adoptive child, please, please come out there. Be a part of All Together Now. Register with their program and uh, check them out. Come on out. There's a lot of stuff that they're doing, and I uh, highly encourage you to come and hear the banter between me and Julie, which is always fun. All right. Uh, with that being said, you can always, again, find me online on the, on the Twitter sphere, on Facebook, like me, share me, share me, share me with all your friends and family who you might think would enjoy this. All right. Uh, that's pretty much all I got this week. Uh, well, I'll talk to you next week. I will talk to you next week. I shall return when you can listen in on my conversation with Ming Fox Weldon. Ming is a Chinese adoptee. She's living out in Seattle, Washington, and uh, you can get to know her next week. All right. Until then, you guys have a great week. Happy Halloween. Enjoy yourselves. I'm going to dress up at work, even though I never got any approval to do that because I like to have a good time. You guys have a great week. Peace out.